And our program continues this morning. Left, right, and center. Jess Schlemmer on the left, as he usually is, although you weren't last week. Nice to see you this week. Thank you. And you're hobbling today. What have you done to yourself? I have managed to get a big rollerblade blister, so yeah, I am hobbling today. I'm not supposed to do that, Jim. <laughs> and Lloyd Walker, who's a compatriot of Bob Metz and the Freedom Party and a very outspoken commentator on lots of things around our community. Nice to have you here. Thank you, Jim. Bob's a little under the weather, we understand, today. That's so we, true. If, he's, if you're listening, Robert, hope you're feeling better soon. Guys, there's just a ton of things to talk about out there, but I, with your permission today, I'd like to maybe do something that we that we do on occasion on the show where we're not necessarily, you guys aren't necessarily uh, totally in opposition to each other. Um, and I'd like to explore a little bit of the political landscape right now in this country. Reform here last week, of course, the big story, the, the big political story in the last little while. Um, Preston Manning talking about uniting the right, and, and uh, although on our program on Monday he indicated that, that that's a misnomer. He doesn't want to unite the right. He wants a united alternative to the liberals. Uh, now, it may be semantics, but he, uh, he was not very pleased with the term unite the right, but that's the one everybody's talking about. Um, at the same time, there's, uh, as you look at that alternative, there's also the specter of the liberals who seem to be this great amorphous group who will move in any direction the public wants them to go. Very difficult to, to take on somebody on ideological grounds when their ideology is so flexible. Uh, and I'm not knocking the liberals. I mean, it's been the secret of their success, and they think they've done a good job governing the country, and many people believe them uh, and, and agree with it as well. Um, let me ask each of you, and i start with you, Lloyd, since you're our, our guest today. What do you make of this unite the right or united alternative? I mean, some people would, would see the, the Freedom Party perhaps as, as being, you know, part of that constituency. What do you make of them doing this? Well, I, actually, it's one of those things that uh, we've been invited to unite the right type events. And uh, what I find is that there seems to be a general consensus that it, it may be unite the right, but the main function is we've got to beat the liberals. And unfortunately, when you take a point of we just got to beat this one guy, you are not addressing all the issues. You're, tr you're trying to find weaknesses in the liberals and address that. You're not really building on what are the strengths of the group of people that you have there. I'm not a big fan of United Right or United Alternative. I think it's all just a method of getting around our electoral system, which I think that is the big problem that we have. So uh, Unite the Right, yeah, there's lots of people that want to do it, but uh, I wouldn't count me among them. Although I'm happy to work with people on the right or the left on anything we agree on. Jeff, what about you? From your perspective, a little to the left, uh, generally speaking, on most things, what do you make of this whole effort? Well, I, I see a, a parallel in something that happened years before with the uh, with the Liberal Party, and that is called the New Democratic Party. That is that uh, there's a uh, a group, obviously, within the mainstream who decide to break away. And I guess the, the dilemma, I presume, for them was, you know, can you have more effect on government by being an alternative party and being free to say what you want and hopefully influencing policy that way? And certainly over the years, it's been suggested that the NDP have had a lot of influence at various times on the Liberal Party, or whether you have more influence by by staying in the party and trying to run it. And uh, as, as, a, as a left-winger, when I hear all the Unite the Right stuff happening right now, I think, boy, it'd be nice if we could unite the left, you know, and if we could get everybody who's in the NDP into the Liberals and get them active, they could run that party, and it could be more of an ideologically left party. But, but you're right, right now it's sort of the natural governing party that simply wants to be in power and will do whatever it thinks will keep it there. Uh, but I say I regret the fact that it seems like the Liberals in the last, well, certainly in the 90s, have, have gone to the right. And uh, if, the, if the, we could unite, unite the left by getting the NDP 
with them, I think they'd be more, much more, uh, uh, well, along an ideology, ideology that I would be happy with. And it's interesting to talk about the idea of uniting against a particular party or person. It has parallels with uh, the uh, provincial Tories and the suggestion of should the Liberals and the NDP try to get together to... Uh, defeat Mike Harris in the next election. They both say that they really hate him, but we've seen that uh, that's not going to happen and that uh, both the Liberals and the NDP have said, you know, we'll fight each other in this next election. We had the NDP convention uh, a couple weeks ago where they said the main target for them in the next election will be the Ontario Liberal Party. Forget about Mike Harris because they're not going to get any votes from him anyway, but they want to gain votes for themselves and the only place they're going to get it from is the Liberals. Uh, and of course, that's uh, music to the ears of Mike Harris. Could, nothing could, could be better for him than having these two fighting against each I want to ask both of you, and I'll come back to Lloyd, because your party is a party that traditionally, uh, you, you, you run candidates, you'd like to win elections and so on, but you've also taken a position that, that part of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of your job as a party is to try and influence policy, to try and influence governments, to try and bring new ideas to the fore. If you may never form a government yourselves, it's still an important role, a part of what you're doing is to try to bring new initiatives to the public. Uh, I'm right on that so far? Absolutely. No, okay. If so, 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 having said that, is there a need then to unite the right? I mean, we, we, I don't think anybody would deny that the Liberal Party has certainly been influenced by the activities and by the platform of the Reform Party. They've ad adopted a number of their fiscal measures. They've, they've softened some of them, but certainly they've been moved in directions they probably wouldn't have gone if, had there not been this loud voice from the right. Do we need to unite anything, or, or is there more value in having this multiplicity of voices, with the hope being that those voices will be heard by the natural governing party, and they will then move in response to the wishes of the majority of Canadians? Well, this may sound kind of biased, but I actually think that, yeah, we need that diversity of opinion. One of the things that Jeff commented on was when, when you start unifying, uh, what happens, of course, is that means you have to silence some of it, too. If you want to put a united voice together, if Jeff and I want to come to today and say, we agree on all this, we have to shut up about the things we disagree on. And I think it's very important that what we have is that diversity of opinion. Because you need people like Freedom Party, like the Green Party, like the Communist Party. You need all those parties that are in there saying things that just wouldn't have any, uh, they just wouldn't show up in the political marketplace if it was left to the tiny group of conservative NDP liberal. We're talking this morning with Jeff Schlemmer and uh, Lloyd Walker on Left, Right, and Center. If you'd like to join the discussion at any time, feel free to do so. 643-1290 is the telephone number, star 1290 on the Cantel. Well, Jeff, the uh, same question to you. Uh, you talked about uniting the left, but do we need to do that at all? Well, we seem to have, with, with all due respect to everybody who's going to disagree with this, and I'm maybe going to surprise a lot of people by saying this, in a historical perspective, from a historical perspective, we seem to have a reasonably good government in place right now at the federal level. Now, they do a lot of things I've disagreed with and a lot of things you have, but if you look at the historical record of what federal governments have been able to accomplish and, and maintaining popularity and delivering programs and so on that the people seem to want, I think the liberals are right in saying that, you know, we're doing a reasonably good job. Uh, given that, and again, I acknowledge there are a lot of reasons to argue, a lot of areas to argue that. But, but given that as kind of a general statement, what is the value of uniting the, the, the right or indeed uniting the left? Why bother? Why not have people like the NDP, who have also influenced liberal policy greatly, as you noted, why not let them stay, let them do what they do, never mind the uniting, just unite enough, uh, uh, commonality of interest, commonality of belief, put forward your ideas as well thought out and well reasoned as possible, and if they do have merit, the public will pick them up, and then by extension, the natural governing party is going to adopt them because it's what the public wants. What's wrong with that? 
Well, uh, there may be nothing wrong with it, uh, and that's the dilemma all the way through as to whether you have two main parties, or theoretically you could have one main party, I suppose, with, with uh, sort of people uh, trying to influence them at party uh, con uh, policy conventions and things like that, or do you go for a, um, a diversity of parties? And there are certainly parliamentary uh, democracies in the world where they have tons of parties, uh, you know, and they form coalition governments around issues that they can agree on, but they're still relatively more free to disagree with, uh, with other parties than you are in Canada. If you're a, if you're a, um, a hard left-wing liberal in Canada, uh, and you're an MP, you better keep your mouth shut. You know, you can't go around saying what you believe. Mm -hmm. You have to toe the party line. Uh, so that another alternative may be something where you have a, a more parties who feel somewhat more free to express their, their views and to sort of ally themselves with certain kinds of ideologies, uh, but then to come together on certain issues. Uh, uh, and it, But it's, it's interesting. I, I don't think we've really had coalition governments per se. I guess there was sort of one with the NDP and the Liberals that toppled the... Um, Tories back in the mid 80s, mm -hmm. but we haven't really gone in for that very much. Uh, but but that's the dilemma. I'm reminded of uh, Tom Berger, who uh, was uh, was a uh, high court judge out in uh, British Columbia. At one time, he was the leader of the New De Democratic Party. He had started out as a liberal initially, and uh, was a strong liberal and uh, worked with them. But eventually, became disenchanted with them and felt that uh, they didn't express the ide ideology that he was uh, that he he believed in, and so he became an NDPer. Uh, and I remember reading his biography and his grappling with, are you better to be on the outside of the party of the day or the government of the day where you can say whatever you want, trying to influence them in the public medium, or are you better to be inside the party trying to schmooze and network your way through uh, conventions and so on and influence policy that way? And I don't know what the right answer is, frankly. Maybe you do. Give us a call, 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel, left, right, and center with uh, Walker and, and uh, Schlemmer today. And we're taking a look at this issue of uniting the right, uniting the left, uniting anybody. Do we need to do that at all? Or is our system today working reasonably well? Uh, the polls tell us most Canadians are, again, I use this word, reasonably pleased with the federal government. Nobody seems to be greatly dissatisfied except the members of the other parties. Most Canadians seem to think they're doing not a bad job. Well, we've been in this situation of a split opposition for about four and a half years now. doesn't seem to have hurt us tremendously. Is there a need to unite anything other than the party in the center? 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. Left, right, and center. Bob Metz a little under the weather. And again, Robert, if you're listening, we hope you're feeling better soon. Lloyd Walker sitting in for Bob and Jeff Schlemmer here as well. And to the phones with caller Rick. Hi, Rick. Hi. I have to tell you, this uh, left, right, and center is the best part of all week. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I don't think there's any need to unite the right because I don't think um, the conservatives are on the right anymore. Um, basically, I think in this country you, you, you've got two ways to vote. You've got liberal or you've got reform. Um, there's a lot about the reform uh, that worries me somewhat, but I am a reformer. Um, I, I believe it's, it, it, it's time to take the federal government and start breaking up its monopoly of this country. I, I, I'm dead against a, a huge centralized government. Uh, I, I'm against sending vast amounts of money to the East Coast. Uh, uh, yes, I, I believe, i.e., Manitoba needed help with the flood. Quebec needed help with the ice storm. Let's help them. But that this idea of just writing blank checks year after year, I mean, uh, it's like welfare payments. It's got to stop. Uh, and And... I guess that's all I really have to say. Right. It, uh, I am a reformer. Appreciate the call, Rick. Bye. Thank you, sir. What about 
some of the other alternatives that uh, in proportional representation is one that keeps coming up as as maybe an adjunct to the system today to the way it works today to involve more people in the process Lloyd I know you've done a lot of research into this can you give us a thumbnail sketch for people who aren't familiar what exactly is proportional representation well it, it's a different way of uh, electing your officials right now we have a system where uh, the largest minority wins is really what it comes down to. It's it's a great system if you've got two parties and two parties only because obviously whoever wins has a majority. Proportional representation, what it says is uh, let's take a larger area, have a number of candidates running, maybe you rank candidates, there are so many systems. One of the simplest is you just total up all the votes and you say okay the Liberals got 33 percent of the vote, 33% of the representatives in the House will be liberal. If the, you, know, you can do it that way. But what you end up with in that situation is uh, you avoid the situation where the uh, Conservative Party was absolutely destroyed a couple of federal elections ago, mm -hmm. but yet got nearly as many votes as reform. You know, but the, the misrepresentation was huge. Now, how do you get around the problem? Uh, it's, it seems to me the, 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 the first problem is going to be with that is, well, who gets elected then? Like, for example, in a riding like London, you've got an NDP candidate, a reform, you've got three or four different candidates. If it's proportional, I mean, how do you decide in that one riding how, who won? Or do you do it that way at all? Well, you, you, there are a number of systems, and I, I don't want to come out in favor of one in particular. I, I have my favorite, but let's leave it at, at a well, general Well, what's your favorite? Time. I think people would be interested oh. to know, because you've studied this. What is your favorite? The single transferable vote. And how does that work? Okay, it's a fairly complicated system. Uh, you have a larger riding area. Mm -hmm. uh, parties can run, for that matter, as many candidates as they want in that area. So you could have an area, let's say, let's say it was all of London, the three ridings okay. that make it up. So you could have four or five liberal candidates if, if they wanted to run them. Mm -hmm. You could have just one candidate from a party. That, that's all fine. When the person goes in to vote, they rank, saying, here's my first choice, my second choice, my third choice. What that does is it allows people to, uh, first off, let's, let's say there were five liberal candidates. Mm -hmm. They actually choose, they're actually the voter is actually involved in choosing which person they want to represent them. Mm -hmm. So the candidate starts to matter. Because right now they, they say it's about 90% party and nobody really cares who the candidates are anyway. Mm -hmm. This way, the candidate matters, the voter is much more involved in the selection of the people that are going to represent them. And as I say, when you rank, you may not end up with a majority, so you take the bottom one off mm -hmm. and use that person's second choice, and you go through until you, until you get a... Uh, clear group and it may be that there will be three representatives from the London area and what you may end up with because of the way the votes go you may end up with two liberal one conservative one of each party you may end up with a, a variety of things happening simply because of the number of candidates that are there what about the constituency work though that's a big part of an MP's job if you've got these much larger ridings in this this kind of amorphous group of people who are running what happens once they're elected and who takes care of the constituents when you say who takes care of the constituents, you're talking about just on the basic levels of approaching government. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, for a lot of MPs, at least they'll tell you that a big part of their day is spent in dealing with complaints or, or problems with their constituents. Yeah, what you end up with is you, you don't end up with uh, fewer fewer representatives. You, you end up with still you've got three in that London area. And it may well be that if we were the three representatives, there may be a person who says, well, the person I really want to represent me and talk, talk to is Jim. Mm -hmm. Someone might call Lloyd, someone might call Jeff. And, and it, it happens that way. You still have the people in the constituency. It is larger, but the one thing, when you start talking about levels as large as the province or, as, or, or the, the country, 
there are very few issues that are so specific to one little area. You know, you're talking about representing them almost acting as an ombudsman, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that, that role is still there and, and would be there with no problem whatsoever. Now, Jeff, you're a student of government yourself. Uh, is this something that works for you? Uh, <clears throat> practically speaking, I, I have to say I haven't given it a lot of thought, but it, there is this frustration with the fact that uh, you can have a, a whole bunch of people vote for somebody, uh, and you can have, you know, you could, uh, theoretically you could have, I guess, 49% of, uh, of the people in a riding vote for a particular candidate and not get in, and in fact, you could have nobody elected from that party across the country, theoretically, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that 49% of the people like them. Uh, that's a big problem, and uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. The only question would be, practically speaking, how do you overcome it. I guess one thing that I'm sort of thinking of as, as Lloyd is talking is that it might be similar in some respects to uh, uh, municipal politics where we have councillors associated with wards but then we have controllers who are uh, theoretically accountable to a larger area and if you have an issue municipally you can call one or you can call the other. Uh, you know, and, and I would expect that realistically you do have favorites. You know, if you're if you're a left-winger, you're more likely to call uh, Susan Eagle or Diane uh, Whiteside. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a right-winger, you're, you're going to call Rob Alder or... Uh <laughs> Whoever, well, somebody else, you know, and that uh, that that might not be a bad alternative uh, because realistically, with the system we have right now, you do have for a good chunk of the time between elections no voice, even though you may speak for or you may be one of a group that uh, represents a large part of your uh, constituency. What did you guys make of the reformers on the weekend? Uh, big hullabaloo here, lots of coverage in the paper and the news in the news media right across the country, and big this and big that. I know you both were observed from time to time down there. You were observed. Observing, um, what did, what did you make of it, Jeff? What did you think of what you saw and heard down there? Um, well, I, I'm I'm interested in the sense that the uh, the Reform Party has has risen from uh, substantial dissatisfaction, obviously, with the uh, the Tories. And in talking with people there, I'm struck by hearing. Um, some people say, for instance, I was talking to a, a reform um, person from B.C. who said that in, in B.C. it's not unusual for people to vote reform federally and NDP provincially. And I was struck by, by that in the sense that right off the top of my head, it seems like, well, wait a minute, you know, we're talking about the arch-right party and the arch-left party. That doesn't make any sense. But from their perspective, they see them both as being parties that are somewhat on the outside, that they're not the sort of mainstream fat cat parties. Uh, and uh, I was talking with a fellow from uh, Saskatoon who was saying that what he liked about the Reform Party was their grassroots uh, bottom... Um, is it bottom up? Is that how would you say? Bottom up organization. You know, mm -hmm. the theoretically, the grassroots are the are where things happen, and uh, they distinguish that from the other parties. And I was sort of thinking, but you know, in my mind, I think of the Reform Party as being Preston Manning's party. You know, mm -hmm. and he basically runs a pretty tight ship and says the way things are going to be. Uh, and uh, when he mentioned about the grassroots part of it, I, my my immediate thing was, I was like, well, that sounds like a union to me. You know, as far as I can tell, at least the unions I've been involved in, there are, there are others that may not be this way, uh, particularly in the states, but the unions I've been involved in are very much grassroots like everything happens right at the grassroots level and that's where things go up um, but that's something I've never ever observed <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you take a look at the days of action was that grassroots oh yeah yeah oh, uh, hey listen I, I was one of the guys saying they're making so. chili in uh, in one of the churches it was well, very you, grassroots well you, well you might have been working there but it, it seemed to me that was mandated from above oh no that we're gonna do this no I was it's a matter of us Saint dragging Catherine's. those dragging the the uh, guys from Toronto down no oh, question about that. but don't you but, but yeah. isn't that how grass grassroots I mean grassroots doesn't work at at making decisions and motivating people at the grassroots isn't what grassroots politics is all about is some kind of consensus at the grassroots then it goes to the leadership then the leadership adopts the consensus and the leadership moves you in that direction. 
Isn't that, I, I sometimes think that what con confuses people, reform's contention is that we are absolutely a grassroots party, but once the grassroots have spoken, then the executive takes that and the executive makes it happen. Yeah, I think that is exactly the way, and that, that's why I know even within reform there are people that perceive that, gee, I've got this idea and I can't get it to the executive. Well, it may well be that they don't know the mechanisms that are there to do it, because I've heard that they do have a process you can follow in order to, to get ideas to the top. But th there is that perception, and I, I think you're right. The, the leadership at one point gets a hold of the idea, and they have, to, they have to go with it. And to the casual observer who hasn't seen any of the background work that's gone on before, it looks mandated. Somebody has to lead. Yeah. One thing about the convention being in London that, uh, on the one hand, it was it was neat to see them, and we certainly saw an awful lot of coverage in the uh, in the free press of them every day. It was it was neat to see them in town having fun, and I particularly liked seeing the kids and hearing about parties having to be shut down by the police at one in the morning and stuff. It was very humanizing, and it's I always find it really useful to 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 consider the human aspect of or the, the fact that, that the, my opponents are people. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got families, they've got kids, they've mm -hmm. got problems like everybody else, and I just love seeing that part of it. On the other hand, it's a bit ominous that, uh, that reform would come to London in the sense that it sort of highlights for me that they see this as a battleground where they can make some big ground, mm -hmm. uh, which would be at the expense of my friends, obviously. Mm -hmm. Actually, that, that's funny you mentioned about the human side, because that's one of the things that I find when people look at the right wing, because the right wing tends to be very economically oriented. Mm -hmm. Everything's finances, everything's money, and the left wing sort of says, well, we're the human side of it. We've got the heart. And it's funny that people have that perception that people on the right don't have a heart. They don't have a conscience. They don't care about people. And that's a complete fallacy. You know, I, you know, I, I haven't met many people that I would ever consider to be uncaring mm -hmm. on left or right. And uh, it, it's just one of those remarkable things that the left wing does have that perception of we're the nice guys. Well, I'm interested, not, I'm interested to hear... You think we're the spendthrifts. <laughs> I'm interested to hear Jeff say what you said, though, about humanizing them, because there's no question, if you look at the media coverage of the Reform Party, they are uh, quite often, they, they have been demonized, rightly or wrongly, or even, if not by the, by the media, the media will report that demonization by other political people, you know, rednecks, bigots, racists, all of those, those uh, charges that have been leveled at them. And, and really, I, I believe, I believe very strongly, if you look at it objectively, these charges largely are unwarranted. But they, they're, the, the, it persists nonetheless, this idea persists, that because they are on the right, they're a, quote, right-wing party, that they are heartless, that they are mean, cruel, and nasty, and all these other things. Jeffrey, do you think that, that uh, those occurrences that you mentioned, they, and the couple parties shut down and so on, do you think that's going to soften them up across the country? or did, did I, I don't know whether it got much play across the country. I don't know, but I think that, that it is something that they're, that they're working on. And I was reading one of the articles about how they've specifically gone out and recruited uh, minority um, uh, members or, or people to run as MPs in the last election. So mm -hmm. now they have the most uh, diverse, uh, culturally diverse uh, caucus uh, that they have specifically recruited heavily on uh, university campuses to try and get y young people into it. And I think that that kind of thing works. Uh, and I think that it, that is a good thing for them because once you, you do have a reputation in the media, the media are looking for anything that will sort of play to that reputation and say, see, we told you, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. Uh, and you have that happening. And they certainly have that strong reputation still of the, the sort of redneck, uh, uh, uncaring party that, that I think sort of for, for me and my friends would sort of sum up sort of what they seem to be all about. But obviously it's much more complex than that and much more striated. And uh, uh, from my end of it, I guess, I think that uh, that 
those are the kinds of things they need to do to become a, a, a legitimate contender for leadership. They need to be seen as more, much more mainstream. Even the caller who called in said, you know, I'm a reformer and I have some misgivings about some of the things, but on the, by and large, I like what they do. Uh, and I think that this convention is a good example of how they've become mainstream in the sense that the convention, in every sense that I could see, was very professionally run, very well, well organized. Well, pretty much. Well, they had a little <laughs> problem with the local media, but other than that, they were... <laughs> Yeah, they got to work on their PR a little yeah, better. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but by and large, they were very credible. It was a very credible uh, convention, very, uh, uh, say, professional in every sense of the word uh, as far as the convention center went and so on. And they have to convey that image of being, we're just like the other guys. It's just that we have these other ideas. You know, we're not uh, amateurs in any sense. 643 1290, star 1290 on the Cantel. Amateurs, neither of my guests today, Lloyd Walker and Jeff Schlemmer, both professionals at expressing themselves clearly and succinctly. If you'd like to join us and to share in the discussion, if you've got some new points to, to bring, or perhaps you've got a question or two, feel free to give us a call at 643 1290. Star 1290 is a free call to you, Cantel customers. Lloyd Walker and Jeff Schlemmer, my guests this morning on left, right, and center. Uh, the comment was made that uh, on this program, we had uh, Joe Armstrong on Friday, who's a noted Canadian iconoclast, as I introduced him, writer and, and commentator. And he talked about the confusion of the Reform Party, that they are this this ground grassroots populist authoritarian party, and that he felt this kind of schizophrenic... Uh, uh, um, picture that they that they create of themselves, whether it's real or not, I guess is up to your individual interpretation. But this picture has been very divisive for them, um, and it was also said a lot prior to the convention that Preston Manning could never be prime minister. That if reform wanted to be a viable national party, that Preston is sometimes going to have to acknowledge his role as the founder and the man who put it on the map, but he's going to have to step aside for someone with less baggage of whatever sort. Um, Lloyd, I'll start with you. Do you think that's true? Do you think Preston can be Prime Minister, or does the Reform and the United Right, or whatever it turns out to be, do they need a new leader unencumbered with the baggage that Preston brings? Well, I think if, if Reform is ever elected, Preston Manning could be Prime Minister. But I don't see that happening. I, I think if they go to the United Alternative, I think that what you're going to have to see is Preston Manning step aside. I think the only way that can succeed is if they have some kind of a new leader. Now, whether Manning comes out of that as a leader, I would find that very doubtful. I think he has to step aside for reform to grow. Jeff, what about you? I, I don't. <clears throat> I don't think the Preston can pull it off. And and it's interesting how uh, your public reputation, once attached, sticks firmly to you. And I'm thinking about Hugh Siegel, for instance, right now. And by all accounts, he's an extremely bright, engaging, uh, energetic guy. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he'll ever be prime minister either. And it's it just the the reputation, the image I have of him is not this. Uh, not as I hate to use the word sexy, but <laughs> there is an element in, of that in a political in, sense in yeah, the media yeah. world that we live in today. Yeah. You know, you need that, and I don't think Preston's ever going to get that either. Uh, and it, it's it's unfortunate in a sense that really he's he's created this party and and he's done immensely good work. And I, by all accounts, he's a very bright guy, a very funny guy, and everything. Although I disagree with a lot of what he says, obviously. Mm -hmm. But again, I don't think that that can happen. And I was sort of struck by um, reading uh, Helen Connell's column in the, the paper today about uh, this dichotomy in the reform party between the grassrooters who have certain sets of beliefs and see the party as an ideology ideological party versus the um, the uh, people who see it as more of a mainstream party and um, his fellow in town uh, who does their uh, public relations work uh, 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 Brian Thomas Brian Thomas yeah that uh, as Helen mentioned that he, he sees his role as finding out what the public wants and then figuring out a way to package it and give it back to them um, and that there is a fundamental split between those two two uh, 
visions of the Reform Party as to whether it should try to become that that uh, party that gives you what you want, or will it just then be a pale imitation of the Liberals? Um, that's a real problem. Although I, I gave a, a, a talk last Thursday night where I suggested perhaps the uh, the left wing should be hiring Brian Thomas. He's done a pretty good job so far in getting people elected. When we look at uh, reform, and we're looking for your thoughts too, folks, this morning, if you want to give us a call at 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel, what do you think their chances are? And uh, what did you think of the, uh, of the convention? Um, I want to come back, Jeff, to something you said earlier about the NDP. If the, if the NDP were to make a decision to move into the Liberal Party, that they could, they could take over that party, that there's an awful lot of left-of-center sympathy within the Liberal Party. Um, is it ideology that presents, uh, prevents that? Is it, uh, is it pride? What do you think prevents a lot of those folks from getting into the Liberal Party, where you know from experience that many of them would be very comfortable? Uh, that's a good question, and uh, perhaps the, the, I'm sure a lot of it is historical, that you have, uh, you know, uh, disagreements over the years, you fight elections against each other, things are said, and people end up, you know, just saying, I would never work with so-and-so, and yet, realistically, that's the only thing that's ever created something meaningful, like a country, for instance, you got 13 states getting together and deciding, you know, we've got to get together for a country or a confederation, the same thing. It seems like the way you achieve um, uh, leadership and, and power is by compromising on some of your, your values and by compromising on some of your views about individuals. With the federal liberals right now, of course, the left are pretty upset with them because since they've got elected, they seem to have taken uh, Brian Mulroney's policies and pushed them much further, certainly the massive cuts to social spending, uh, health care spending, and all that kind of stuff. The liberals, by and large, got away with, you know, because a lot of it was a matter of reducing funding for provinces mm -hmm. and uh, leaving the provinces holding the bag for all of these services. Uh, the left are pretty upset about that and uh, certainly have no love for Paul Martin uh, or Jean Chrétien. So they would have to overcome a lot of baggage to be able to get to a point where they could uh, could see themselves joining. But realistically, as I say, there's within the Liberal Party, there's a huge amount of um, there are a lot of lefties in the Liberal Party, a lot of uh, sympathy for left-wing uh, values, but they're not in the ascendant right now. They're not dominant. You know? Some people have wondered, and Lloyd, I'll ask you this from, from the perspective more on the right, some people have wondered why the uh, NDP did not do better in the last election, given that, as Jeff quite rightly points out, there are a lot of lefties in the, in the Liberals. The NDP had some, some clearly distinct programs some different initiatives from the Liberal Party, and, and uh, it's been speculated by better minds than mine that uh, the NDP, perhaps, it was a defeat for the NDP, and though they, they seriously increased the number of seats they had, but it was in many ways a defeat that they couldn't marshal these forces that were kind of quasi-liberal, the red liberals. Well, what, do, you, do you think there's validity to that comment? Well, I th think there is to a fair degree, and I think this comes back to something that you said right off the top, which was that uh, the liberals are quite flexible. And uh, because of that flexibility and because their policies can change rather rapidly, uh, they're in a situation where they, they can appeal to someone on the left or even someone on the right at times. They, they have this appeal that if you just pick and choose certain issues, they can come in. I think this is why, this is why I, I, th I think you won't see the NDP join with them or anything like that because they have such a broad base of support. You, you end up in a situation where if the liberals really declared, this is what we believe, I think fundamentally what you'd see is a split in the Liberal Party where the left-leaning Liberals would go to the NDP, the right-leaning Liberals would go to the Conservative or Reform camps. Uh, I think the Liberals just being so flexible and so... Uh, I, I, I always look at the Liberals as somewhat like a chameleon, that the, they, they change colors to, to suit the, the specific issue. 
I, I've got to admit, uh, in my history with Freedom Party, we've had people come from the left wing to Freedom Party because they like the the civil freedoms, the civil liberties mm -hmm. that we represent. We've had people come from the right because of the economic liberties. We never seem to get anyone from the liberals simply because that's sort of a wishy-washy... Uh, They're already there. It's one of those things where they say, well, yeah, well, maybe a bit of this, a bit of that. Um, I'm not a fan of the Liberal Party at all in that mm -hmm. regard, but they can offer an awful lot of people thing because you can pick and choose from their thing and find just about something for anyone. To well, it's been, it's been noted that the Liberals are a party without ideology in, 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 the, in the kind of macro-political sense of the word. Uh, they, their, their decisions are not driven generally by ideology. They are driven by pragmatism. It's also been noted that that's a great characteristic of Canada as a whole, and for that reason, they may be the quintessential Canadian party, that it may be why they are the natural governing party. Well, that, that's just it. What is it? Joe Armstrong said they'll rule for the next century if, if something doesn't happen, and, and that, that's probably true because they are so... Uh, Versatile. We're going back to the telephones, and the lines are open at 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. If you'd like to join us on this edition of Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Lloyd Walker, uh, we invite you to do so. And Andrew's with us. Hi, Andrew. Hey, love Left, Right, and Center, guys. Oh, thank you. Thanks. And just kind of halfway through today, I was wondering, um, the liberal government, the way I see it is they see the uprise and the reform. So the reform is to cut spending in that, so mm -hmm. the Liberal government does. And now with the uprising in the NDP, out west and in the east, they're going to spend, spend, spend. I was just wondering if you guys sort of see it that way, too. I don't think they will as long as Paul Martin is around, because he, uh, I, I think, is... Although he made a speech yesterday I saw that. where he said that our, our new priorities are, you know... <laughs> We're going to be the social spending good guys again. Yeah, well, and you're right, actually, as I think about it, because he wants to be leader, he has to sort of soften his image somewhat. But I think that it would just drive him crazy if he if he was to get into deficit spending again. I just can't see but him they don't. Do, do they have to get into deficit spending to change the focus? I mean, once they've got the budget balanced for a couple of years and, and the economy continues to grow, they can spend more money on the social side again. But when I hear spend, 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 what I what I think people fear is that they get back into debt. Yeah. You know, that that's the real worry. Uh, and, you know, they say so far that the, what's the... The, the split they're going to spend half the half the uh, tax dividend or whatever you call it mm -hmm. on uh, reducing debt and deficit and the other mm -hmm. half on social programs and they're sort of committed to that like they, they've pretty strongly said that's what they're going to do but I think the big fear again is that once they're back in power and they're sort of feeling good they, they, this is a party that spent a lot of money over the years and that they'll get back into that mode again but I just I don't think that's going to happen at any time in the near future Andrew what do you think is going to happen do you think they're going to do that Oh, I think they'll just spend to keep everybody happy because the way I see the Liberal government is to just see, like, the reform was uprising, so they say we're going to cut costs, cut costs, and then just you see the NDP uprising now, and they say we're going to spend, spend, spend on social programs. And I don't know. To be honest, I have no idea. Well, I appreciate <laughs> your call today. All right, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Bye-bye. Actually, yeah, I, think, I think Andrew is uh, right on the money, and I think what the Liberals will do is they will spend, spend, spend to the limit that the polls tell them they've managed yeah, to satisfy enough point. people yes. that, okay, are, we're secure, we will get re-elected. Uh, I, I think that's the, the game that's being played in Ottawa, and, and, and Andrew's right. In, I, our, in our system, I mean, if you look at that boldly, the way you just put it, here's a government that will do whatever it takes to get re-elected. I think you can look at that from one point of view and say that's absolutely disgraceful and despicable and, and, and does not take into long-term best interests of the people or the country or anything else. And many people look at it that way. But you can also look at it from another perspective and say, well, if you're not the government, you can't get anything done anyway. If you've done things in the past that you believe 
had the support of the people, and that's then they did support you. If you lose the power, those changes may be reversed. We, we see it happen at every like, level of government. A government comes in, Bob Ray here in Ontario does this, 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 and this. Mike Harris comes in with the support of the people, it appears, and says, nope, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone, that's gone. Some people accused Ray of not thinking enough about the next election, of being a little too doctrinaire, a little too ideologically driven, and saying, this is who the, we're the NDP, this is who we are, this is what we have to do. Now, some of the NDPers don't like that social contract and so on. But, and Jeff, I'll ask you this question. Which of those perspectives do you think is, is, is more accurate? Is that kind of seeking after broad-based public support a positive or a negative? Well, it, it's interesting when you put it that way. It makes me think about how uh, part of perhaps what what makes the Liberals successful is they're able to stay ahead of a very changeable electorate. You know, to go from uh, 1990 when we had an overwhelming victory for Bob Ray and everybody knew what he stood for and what he was interested in and stuff. And like we all said, yep, he's our man. Let's go for him. And five years later, it's like, whoa, you know, let's turn the bus exactly 180 degrees around and go off charging in the other direction full speed. And maybe the Liberals are the only ones who can shift gears fast enough to keep up with us. Uh, but uh, as to whether that works or not, I guess uh, you mentioned earlier that it, uh, it's in some respects quintessentially Canadian to say, well, on the one hand, but, you know, on the other hand, we sort of go this way, we sort of go the other way. Uh, on the one hand, either you have no values and, and, and core beliefs, but on the other hand, at least you're not set in your ways. <laughs> oh, Canada. Yeah, there yeah, there's a little bit of a problem not having any core beliefs or values. Uh, but, but setting that aside. <laughs> but uh, actually... actually uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought. That's all right. It happens, <laughs> Sorry. To, me. It happens to me all the time, but we have to pause for a second no. anyway, so your timing was perfect, Lloyd. We'll be right back with more on Left, Right, and Center. Jeff Schlemmer, my guest, along with Lloyd Walker, sitting in for the uh, Under the Weather Bob Metz on Left, Right, and Center. Guys, uh, change the focus just a tiny wee bit here. Uh, we talked about the need for leadership, new leadership, or potential new leadership in the Reform Party. The Conservative Party is looking for a new leader. We've mentioned Hugh Siegel a moment or two ago. Joe Clark is apparently far ahead in the polls at this point. Um, are either of you surprised at the lack of other candidates coming forward? Obviously, it's a couple of the obvious ones. Uh, Ralph Klein, although we, we know the story there. Um, Mike Harrison, Ernie Eves are all names that were mentioned. None of them seem to have, they won't touch this thing with a 10-foot pole. Any opinions from either one of you as to why they are so reticent to even, they don't even want their names considered, much less thinking about running? Well, I'll be blunt. I, I think that the Ontario PCs are very much, although they have the progressive conservative name, I think they're fundamentally the Ontario Reform Party. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, you won't see Mike Harris and Ernie Eves taking a step towards PC leadership because that would jeopardize the position in Ontario. Because then you probably would see an, an official Ontario reform or something you, like that step in. Would you see Mike or Ernie running for leadership of the Reform Party? Do you think they could win that? Do you think they could win an election? I, d I don't know if they could win it because the broad basis support is still out west and that kind of thing. But... Uh, do I think that they'd be names that would be mentioned if Preston Manning stepped down? Yeah, I really sincerely think that that would probably be, they may consider that to be a golden opportunity to move into to Ontario strongly, to get a strong leader from Ontario. So what you're saying in a essence then is that the, the, the federal Progressive Conservative Party and the provincial Progressive Conservative Party share a name, but maybe not a whole lot more. I think that's, I think that's probably more true than it appears. Jeff, what do you think? Well, I think uh, one of the things that reminds me on my to-do list is that I've got to get around to uh, founding the Reform Party of Ontario. Uh, <laughs> Many have tried. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're not allowed to do that, are you? I don't know. Yeah. But, 
I think that that's correct. That obviously this this government has been far more right wing than uh, than federal Tories have been historically. Uh, in fact, it was interesting that on the weekend uh, some names were being bandied around as potential successors for Preston uh, Manning from the provincial Conservative Party, um, which which may be a more likely thing. But as it stands right now, it seems to me that uh, if you had somebody like a Mike Harris step into the leadership of the Reform Party, somebody who's got a proven record as a as a leader, as somebody who's who's run a government, particularly if he gets out of this man clean without uh, having his popularity plummet, that could give them the credibility to say, here's, an, here's a leader who, uh, who has a track record, who can run a country or can run a big you know, run the biggest province, can probably run the country too. So in some ways it would be a, a wise thing for them to be courting these guys. I find it really surprising though that they are so so distanced from federal politics generally. The other thing I suppose is that with the federal Tory party in such disarray right now, now would be a golden opportunity for a Mike Harris or Ernie Eves to step in and, and clean it up and take it to the right. If that's what they think needs to be done, the party is sitting there for the taking right now. It would be a historic opportunity for him to get in there and say, we think that the Tories have become too much like the Liberals. We need a party that's more distinctively right-wing, so we're going to come in there and do it. You know? Do you think the, the, the great specter again, though, is even if they did that and revitalized the Tories as a party of the right, they're still fighting for votes with reform and li Liberals continue to form the governments? Yeah, that's, maybe. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely true. I think that's, that's the old, uh, they're splitting the vote argument and that's that again is a, another reason why Preston Manning is pushing the United alternative and uh, the other reason is why for example myself and even Howard Hampton of the NDP have now come out in, for, in favor of proportional representation because that means that you don't have to worry about the vote being split you can get a representation based based on the ideology that uh, the public seeks let's talk about uh, the Tories for the last few minutes here uh, Joe Clark mentioned his name he's way ahead in the polls um, he's been called everything you can imagine, right up to and including, and I love this phrase, yesterday's man. Wasn't that the same phrase they attached to Jean Chrétien when he ran for the leadership of uh, the Liberals? Before and and Mike Harris. Yeah. yeah. And uh, do you think, either one of you, that Joe Clark can pull this off? Not necessarily Prime Minister, but is he the man to, to lead the Tories back from the wilderness? I don't think so. I, I, I talked earlier about reputation and how once you've got it, it sticks to you for life. And I think that he's, you know, he's had his kick at the can't. He, he has been associated, rightly or wrongly, with somebody who sort of bumbled when he was prime minister. And he's had a very distinguished career since then. He's done a lot of really good things. But I don't. I think it's going to take something like a like a an atom bomb to to get that party up and running again. And I just don't see him as being a guy to come back and do that. They need some, somebody new. Some people have suggested, though, that that he there may be parallels there with him and Bob Stanfield. Bob Stanfield never made it to the Prime Minister's uh, chair, and indeed during his political career was seen as this kind of dour, you know, un unfeeling, kind of humorless man. After he retired from the political arena, the, the country was flooded with stories about what a great guy Bob Stanfield was, and he consistently finishes very high in popularity polls. But he fumbled the, the football, country. though. Well, he, uh, he did, but is there any chance that I mean Joe's been out of there for almost 20 years since he fumbled his football is there any is there any chance that the distinguished career you alluded to that people might be looking at him and say you know maybe we treated Joe and look at Bob Stanfield Bob Stanfield in retrospect you look at him and say he would have been a great prime minister but we didn't see it at the time do you think Joe might benefit from any of that I, I think he may I, I, I agree with Jeff in, in that I don't know whether he can be prime minister again simply because of that history, that baggage attached to him. But he has had a very good career, and where a lot of people thought, oh, you know, I wouldn't trust this guy to, to go out and do my grocery shopping when he was prime minister, you've got a guy now who, uh, when he was in uh, a number of positions, 
handled himself quite well mm -hmm. and uh, I think gained a great deal of respect. I, I think Joe Clark as leader may not bring the uh, PC party back t into the leadership of the country, but I certainly think it would help their credibility and I think he may be the man to help them build. Not necessarily win. He may be a steward, yeah, who could who could help to rebuild the thing. And I and I remember uh, there was a uh, a guy who was a sort of wise old political sage who had said to me once that people don't they don't uh, elect new governments; they vote out old governments. Mm -hmm. And it may be that if they can maintain themselves as a credible party and uh, get their finances in shape, then just wait around. That eventually uh, people will get mad at the liberals again, and they, you know, may be seen as the more. Um, more natural party to take over than reform. Well, we well we've seen that in Ontario. I mean, going from liberal, NDP, conservative, you know, maybe the next one will be Freedom Party. <laughs> <laughs> well, to sort of sum up, we got a couple of minutes left here. Um, I ask each one of you around the table. We will go. Lloyd, uh, will Joe Clark be the leader of the Conservative Party the next one? I kind of expect he will. I, I don't see anyone else as a great front runner. Uh, Hugh Siegel has been mentioned, but again, he he leaves me very cold. I, I can't get excited to him about him at all. I think Joe Clark has, uh, like I say, a, a pretty good history in the last 15 years, and uh, I think people will respect that. Jeff, what do you think? Joe Clark, the next leader of the federal Tories? Uh, probably, but I think they're going to have to be very careful because reform, I think, uh, and I have to filter out the effect of the last week, but I think reform has uh, the initiative. I think that they, they have a lot of energy, and the Tories have got to get their, themselves rowing away if they're going to keep up with them. Uh, back to you, Lloyd. Preston Manning, has he gone to Hollywood for the grassroots? No, he got support at the convention, significant support, but far from unanimous. Mm -hmm. uh, is he too Hollywood to, to lead this party into the next century? You know, I, I think it's funny. I think it, it, one of the things that a lot of reform people really prided themselves on was that Preston Manning was just kind of this guy, you know, that you could walk up to, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it has, they have gone very glitzy, and uh, uh, Jeff referred to it as being very professional and having the, the same sort of convention. I, I don't know if that's... Uh, really a good thing for them, but uh, has he gone too far? Well, I think for a lot of reformers he hasn't gone far enough, and I think that's probably his biggest problem. Jeff, what about the Hollywood factor for Preston? Is he too glossy to, to move this party ahead? I, I again think that he isn't too isn't glossy enough, although he's pretty glossy. You see him in a room, boy, and uh, hair lights right up. Boy. <laughs> but uh, no, I think that if they're going to be perceived as the party that can run the country, they've got to look as mainstream as all get out, and that means moving into Starnaway. It means having limousines, and it seems to mean having pensions. The question is, what's the grassroots going to say about that? What about the pensions? My final question today, it looks as though uh, a raise is on the way for our MPs. Uh, it looks as though the Reform Party may be trying to sneak in the back door and get back on the pension uh, bandwagon. Is that going to hurt them, Lloyd? Oh, I think so. I think uh, a lot of the people that started reform, a lot of the grassroots that are involved in reform are the people that keep an eye on what's going on in politics. They, they went to this other party because they were disaffected by the, the big three. And uh, because they do look at politics and they watch it with a, a somewhat jaundiced eye, I would say that, uh, yeah, I think it's going to hurt them. I think they're going to see this and they're going to wonder what's happened. Jeff, do they need those people or can they win a new constituency? I think that they do. And the reason is that they have to have a competitive advantage. They have to be seen as being different than the, the other parties and that right now they're... Uh, their uh, touted integrity and so on is that difference, um, but I think that it's inevitable that they're going to move in that direction. As far as raises, though, it's like we all forget that in the old days we all used to get raises every year. <laughs> God bless them if they can get a raise. Well, they're looking at two percent. They haven't had one for a while. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether that's going to be as much as contentious as the issue of the pensions. Is I hope not. To get back into the uh, get back into the pension scheme. Well, thank you, gentlemen. A great pleasure. Thank as you. Always, thank Lord, you. Thank you for uh, filling in at last minute for Bob. We appreciate it. Uh, always welcome here. And Jeffrey, uh, we'll see you next week. I'm hoping. Yes, you will. Bob, if you're listening, hope you're feeling better soon.
Uh, I have no idea what we're doing tomorrow, folks, so I'm not going to pretend. Uh, I know we've got a bunch of guests, but I didn't bring the sheet in from the other office, so join me tomorrow. We'll find out together what's happening, okay? For Lloyd and for Jeff and for Ryan and for Tara, it's Jim Chavin saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and we will see you tomorrow on the next Talk of the Town. Bye-bye.